0: The following audio is from a sermon series entitled, Money Matters. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 6, 19-24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is... from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount for the past three weeks, where Jesus deals specifically with the subject of money. And today we are going to zero in on verse 24. It is two simple statements, but these two statements are kind of like sticks of dynamite. Now, it's interesting. If you, no matter what the movies say, if you throw a stick of dynamite and it blows up, Um, It really doesn't do much damage. It doesn't really do much. It kind of kicks the dust up and that's it. But if you drill down into the dirt or you drill down into the stone and you place some dynamite down in there, when that thing goes off, it does terrific damage or it can get you, it can get you through a mountain. That's how we get through mountains. That's how we got the trains through mountains and it can do, it can make some significant impact and change in your life. And these, this verse here, these two statements by Jesus are kind of like that. Um, if you let them get down into you, if you if you bring them down into your heart, they can um, revolutionize your entire life. Um, I'm gonna pray and I'm just gonna jump into it because I've got a lot of work this morning. So let me go. Father, we are pushing against headwinds this morning. We might not recognize it. We are living in one of the most No, we are living in the most prosperous country and time um, that any human's ever lived in. We are, um, the cultural pressures to desire more, the cultural pressures to define our existence by money is real in all of our lives. And we may be aware of it and we may not be. I pray that you would help me open up your word that Jesus something he said 2000 years ago could be as relevant today as any time it could speak to us today can change our life today we recognize this is because Jesus was the son of God came to reveal real life to us i pray that you would help me preach your word with clarity with boldness that you would think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords, that it would be all of you and none of me, that you'd get me out of the way this morning, and you would encounter your people through your word, by your spirit. In Jesus' name, <clears throat> amen. Well, we are, of course, in Matthew 6. We're going to look at verse 24 today. <clears throat> One simple verse. I'm not going to recap the past two weeks. You can go back. You can find those sermons on our website. Um, But what we've seen so far is that the love of money poses a very specific and dangerous threat to the person, to the human person, and specifically to the Christian as well. So this morning, I want to answer a really basic question that people are asking me fairly often. Okay, I recognize I have a problem with money or I have an issue with money or money plays a significant part of my life. So how can I love and serve God more than money? How can I love and serve God more than money? And I think from our text today, we're gonna get three things, three steps. One, we have to acknowledge the competition, okay? Two, we have to experience The grace of Jesus its more than just a mental ascent or coming to an awareness of something. We've got to experience the grace of Jesus. And third, we have to dethrone the rivals. So that's where we're going this morning. Acknowledge the competition, experience the grace of Jesus, and dethrone the rivals. Now, in our verse this morning, Jesus is zeroing in on the chief issue we have when it comes to money. And it's not what you think it is. Because if I ask you, what's the chief issue with money? Well, simple. I ain't got enough of it. <laughs> if I had more of it, I'd have less problems. I'd probably have less of an issue with money. No, that's not true. Here's Jesus puts his finger on the problem here when he says this, no one can serve two masters. There Jesus is telling us something very important And we all must acknowledge this reality. This is step one. If we're going to get free from our love of money, we have to acknowledge this reality. Jesus is saying you are either owned by God or you're owned by money. These are two rivals in competition for our heart, for our devotion. One of those is going to be your master. Now, some of the force of Jesus' statement here is kind of lost on us because of the, in a sense, I'm gonna say, the, I don't say this very often. We use the ESV Bible. For the most part, it's a word-for-word translation. It's one of the best translation modern scholars uh, have, have produced. But here, we really lose the force of what Jesus is saying because of the modern translation. What Jesus is actually saying is this. You cannot be a slave to two lords. Okay, the word master. So he says that the the, the, the Greek word is kyrios. It literally it means lord, and the the word serve in that translation is do, doulos, which means to be a slave. Okay, so they've translated slave as servant, and they've translated. Um, Lord as master. Now, first off, I'm just going to say, Jesus here is using a metaphor from slavery. Now, one of the reasons modern translators choose to use the word servants and masters there is because for us, when a 21st century person hears the word slave or slavery, we think of the race-based slavery from our own nation's history. And we're repulsed by that. But in Jesus' day, slavery wasn't necessarily what we think of when we hear the word slavery. It was not based upon the color of one's skin. But here is the point. I'm not going to get into all that this morning. Here is the point we cannot miss. Slavery was still about ownership. Now, you could get into slavery from all kinds of things. They, the Romans would take prisoners. They would conquer a nation and take prisoners and bring them back. Uh, historians tell us 20% of the Greco-Roman world were slaves, right? You could also become a slave because you couldn't pay your debt. There was no bankruptcy, right? There was no just put it on the credit card. If you couldn't pay your debt, you would sell yourself into slavery to pay off that debt. And when, while you were a slave, you were owned, You were owned. It wasn't just a service thing. Now, when we hear Jesus say, you cannot serve both God and money, I think many people, and especially the American church, say, sure I can, watch me. You can't serve both God and money. Watch this. Six days a week, we serve money. One day a week, We come and we serve God. Now, the reason we can say that, we probably don't say that, we can live that way is because we don't understand that Jesus is talking about ownership and slavery and not just offering service to someone. Jesus is not saying like, kind of like serving God and serving money. He's kind of like having two, two jobs and two different bosses. And as long as they're willing to work together, sure, you can make them both happy and do, do the job. Right? I work days here, I work nights here. No big deal. These two bosses both are happy. Now, what Jesus is saying is you can't be a slave to two lords, you can't be owned by two separate masters. You can either be owned by God or you can be owned by money. And once you fully understand the requirements of a Lord, of a master, you realize that you cannot obey more than one at one time, right? They're totalitizing. Is that the right word? I don't know. I just came up with it. (laughs) Both of them require total obedience, Right? If you've got two bosses that say, I want you here at 8 a.m. on Monday morning, uh-oh, I got a problem. They both are demanding me to be there at 8 a.m., right? I have to do what? I have to please one and make the other angry. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, you cannot serve. You cannot be a slave. You cannot be owned by God and money. You're going to have to choose one. See, Jesus says, give a significant portion of your wealth away to his mission in the world, alleviating poverty, preaching the gospel, planting churches, taking care of those who can't take care of themselves. But money says, spend it on you and your wishes, or save it for your future wants and your future wishes. These are competing requirements from two different masters, and you cannot serve both. You cannot be a slave to both. You cannot be owned by both. Everyone is owned by one ultimate master. Everyone has one Lord of their life. If it's money, and it's interesting, Jesus doesn't use the word money. He uses this this word mammon. If you've ever heard of this word mammon, And mammon means wealth, possessions. It's all of it. And he kind of personalizes it. He kind of names this rival God as mammon. If it's God, if God is your master, then you are a slave. Now, I know we don't like this. We brussel against it. We push against it. You're a slave to Jesus. Now, let's ask ourselves, well, I don't think I'm a slave to money. Well, let's just see. How does money enslave us? Well, money primarily enslaves us in two ways, through desire or worry. Desire is really easy to see. I want something I don't have, and I need money to get whatever it is, that I desire, and so my desire, that my desires are constantly evolving, constantly changing, constantly increasing, and I, so therefore I constantly need more and more money. This keeps me focused on money. I love money because it promises to give me the things that I most desire. Now listen, people who love money are those who find themselves daydreaming and fantasizing about new ways to make money new possessions to buy, looking with jealousy on those who have more than they do. Now, typically, not always, but typically, those who are ruled by their desire for money are typically spenders. They find it incredibly hard to say no to their desires for something new, for the newest experience. This is kind of epitomized by the, the modern Philosopher Ariana Grande, I see it, I like it, I want it, I get it. That's for my son this morning. But money, also, have you heard? Have you ever heard a more vain song? Really, we should. That really should. Like, when you hear that, you should really go, "Oh, that's my generation." Right? But money, listen. Desire is pretty easy to name. It's pretty easy to see in other people. Not so easy to see in ourselves. But money also, here it is, enslaves us through worry, through anxiety and fear. It's not a coincidence that if you're reading Matthew 6, um, the passage that immediately follows this text that we're reading this morning. Jesus says this, therefore, that means everything he said before matters now. Therefore, so he says, you cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or your clothes. Jesus is saying, if you are mastered by money, you will look to money to save you from the difficulties of life. You will most likely be a saver. You will need to have money packed away, stored away in savings and life insurance and retirement funds. When you get a bonus from work or you you get a gift from someone or you get some surprising windfall of profits you won't first ask what does god want me to do with this money you will say well, what's prudent what makes sense given the circumstance or the uncertainty of life well what always is prudent what always makes sense to you is to hide that money away, put that money away for a rainy day. See, money becomes the way you manage and mitigate risk. You are afraid of what might happen to you in the future and you look to money as your savior. You trust in money to protect you and therefore you become a slave to money. It's what you love, it's what you trust in, and it's what you serve. You become a slave. Slaves of money look to their money, to their possessions and wealth for their meaning, for their security, for their purpose, for their value, for their identity. And mammon tells me who I am. Tells me you are a success. You are valuable. Look how much you have. Mammon tells me I'll keep you safe. I'll protect you. Mammon tells me What to do, how to live, what neighborhood I can afford, what car I can drive, what school my kids can go to. Mammon tells me who I am. Now, what does that mean? That means money, Mammon, is my master. I am actually a slave to Mammon. If you took away my money, who would I be? I wouldn't know how to define myself. Now, just to kind of state the obvious, maybe it's not obvious, money is a horrible master. First off, it never delivers on its promises. It says it it will make you happy after you spend it, but it only gives a momentary unhappiness at best. Right? Got it. Loved it. It's gone. It also promises it will keep you safe if you've got enough saved. But can I ask you, especially those who are savers in here this morning, when is enough ever enough? Honestly, one accident, one lawsuit, one sickness, one downturn in the economy could be enough to wipe out your entire savings. So when is it enough? When can you really mitigate the risk of life? And obviously that money does nothing with your impending death that's on the horizon. Can't keep that back. See, money is kind of like Pharaoh in the book of Exodus, right? Horrible, slave master who always demands more and always provides less and less and less comfort, security, meaning, purpose. And it always, for those who are enslaved to money, when I'm talking to them, one of the most common things I hear from them is, I'm just exhausted. I just don't know if I can keep it up. I have to keep the overtime coming because I've overspent. I have to keep reaching. I have to keep striving. I have to keep saving. I'm just not there yet. And they're just worn out. And this is the refrain of our anxiety-ridden society. We are worn out and exhausted because we're a slave to a cruel master. Mammon. So, what are we to do if we can acknowledge that we are slaves to money? So, first, we have to acknowledge the competition. God and money are in competition for our heart's devotion, for our heart's worship, for our life. We can't be a servant or a slave of both. So, what are we going to do? How do we, if we recognize, you know what, I think I am a slave to money, how do I get free from this? Well... It just so happens that in Luke's gospel, and that's where we're gonna go next, Luke 19. In Luke's gospel, we get to see a man who was a slave of money, but he gets set free. And the interesting thing here is he doesn't become free in the sense that now he's free to be his own master. No, that's actually not even humanly possible. Everyone is a slave to whatever it is that's ruling their heart. Our utmost desire of our heart becomes a slave master. So there is no one who's ultimately free. You can only change masters. Which master will you serve? The key is to have a good master, a kind and benevolent master. And that's exactly what we see in the life of this guy named Zacchaeus. So if you've got your Bible, go to Luke 19. And unfortunately, many of us probably know the story of Zacchaeus, but we probably missed the point of the story of Zacchaeus, okay? I know a wee little man was he, right? But that's not the point of the story, right? Short guys, Jesus loves short guys too, praise God, (laughs) right? No, that's not the point of the story, all right? Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, period. Okay, we need some background information. Tax collectors were, listen, I've heard preachers say they're kind of like IRS agents and nobody really likes the IRS, okay? Well, Kind of, but way worse. Tax collectors were actually collaborators with the Roman occupational forces. So Rome took over, conquered the Jewish people, right? And now it's the Greco-Roman world and the Jews were a subjugated people with limited rights within this Greco-Roman rule, but they were under Greco-Roman rule and oppression. Rome, when they conquered Judea, as a way of subjugating the colonies, as a way of keeping them weak and dependent so they couldn't rise up and become their own nation again, right? They levied deliberate and huge, just crippling taxes, taxing away most of their income, not just like 20, 30%, but most of their income. They wanted them to be dependent upon Rome. Now, what happened was this guy, Zacchaeus, was a Jew who became a tax collector. That, what we're meant to see there is this guy was literally selling his soul for money. He was selling out his people, the Jewish people, for the Romans. Now, any Jew who became a tax collector, was saying, I want to be rich so bad that I will get rich at the expense of my people. I will get rich at the expense of my community, of my nation, of my friendships, of my relationships. I don't care about how it hurts my people. What I care about is getting rich. I care about making money. Tax collectors literally sold their soul for money. Think of almost like a Ponzi scheme or think of somebody that's trying to sell you something, they're trying to manipulate you. They don't care that they're gonna sell this thing to you and it's not gonna come through, it's on its promises and and you're gonna be upset and that's gonna damage the relationship. They don't care, they just wanna make the buck. That's what tax collectors did. So Zacchaeus was a slave to money. Zacchaeus was enslaved, money was his master. Now, listen, that is more important to the story than his height. <laughs> See, we keep, let's keep reading. I'm going to show you. The height was an issue, but let me show you why. All right? All right, he was a chief t- ca- tax collector and was rich. Guy was rich. Now, I'm going to let you know most of us, probably 99% of us in this room, compared to the world population, we are rich as well. Okay? Let's keep going. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Okay, okay, his height's a problem. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. You're at you're, you're a concert, right? You're, everybody's trying to get close to the stage. Now, if you're taller and a, sh- and a little kid or a short person walks up, you let them through. You let them get in front of you. Why? Because if he's here and you're here, you see it's not a problem to you right? The short guy goes, hey, man, I'm short. Let me in. We're like, all right, go ahead. Go get up in there. You're not bothering me because you're shorter than me, right? His height was a problem. He couldn't see from behind, but the real problem was he couldn't go up to people and go, hey, man, can I just get in? Can I get in the front? I can't see. Why could he not get in? Why could he not ask? Because everyone hated him. That's why. Because he was a tax collector and he was rich and he was scamming his people for their money, And so people despised him. Later we see when he has an encounter with Jesus, they're mad that Jesus goes to this guy's house because, quote, he was a sinner. See, this man was hated because he had sold out his people for money. No one would have cared about him enough to let him through. But here's what's awesome. I think in verse 3 there, we see that Zacchaeus, though he was a sinner and he was worshiping money, he was living for money, he was a slave for money, he was, quote, seeking to see who Jesus was. What's awesome here is Zacchaeus is looking for a new master. The world says that money is an excellent master. It gives you what you desire and it will keep your anxiety in check. But anyone who has it and anyone who is willing to actually look at their heart knows that that is a lie. Zacchaeus realized that. He had done whatever it takes, take took take, whatever, he whatever that is. He had done he did whatever it takes to get money. And he wasn't satisfied. He was separated from his people. He didn't have relationships with his his people. He wasn't fulfilled. And so he went looking to see who Jesus was. He went looking for a new master, right? And what we see later, and this is kind of a piece of the story. He was willing to do embarrassing and unbecoming things to get a glimpse of Jesus. Verse four, so he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, to see Jesus, for Jesus was about to pass that way, okay? This is the story we all know and love from the flannel graphs in Sunday school. Wee little man climbs a tree to get a glimpse of Jesus. But the real point of the story is not the fact that Zacchaeus is short, nor that he climbed a tree to see Jesus. The real point of the story is that Jesus had already chosen him, a money-worshipping sinner, a man who is enslaved to money. Look at verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, I love it, and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they, that's the crowd, that's the religious people, when they saw it, they all grumbled, Jesus has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now, what's interesting here, look at verse 9. I'm going to skip a little section, but we're going to come back to it. Verse 9. And Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Today, salvation has come to this house. Now, what's interesting here is in verse 5, Jesus says, Today, I'm coming to your house. And in verse 9, he says, Today, salvation has come to your house. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, money says, lay down your life for me and I will save you. I'll save you from boredom and I'll save you from the fear of the future. Just serve me. It's all about what you do. Like any other religion, every other religion is, if you obey me, I will bless you. Okay? You obey me and I will bless you. But Jesus does something completely backwards, completely opposite of every other religion. Jesus says, you're not saved by anything that you do. You're saved by what I do, by what I'm going to do. I'm coming to your house and with me, salvation comes with me. See, every other religion points at something and says, do that to be saved. Every religion of the world, that's all they say. Here's a list of things. Here's a God to worship. That's your path. Follow the path and you'll be happy. Jesus has the audacity to come and say, you want salvation? It's right here. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Today, salvation will come to your house. Now, what's interesting is this is a man who's worshiping money. And Jesus says, today, salvation's coming to your house that Jesus takes the first step of salvation. Jesus pursues notorious sinners. He doesn't say, there's the way to God. He says, I am God, your eternal master, who has come into this world as a slave to give his life as a ransom for yours. How, How completely different. And in this moment, this is interesting. In this moment, Zacchaeus goes from being a slave to money to being a slave to Jesus Christ. Money was his master, and now Jesus becomes his master. And we know that because verse 6 says, he received Jesus joyfully. See, just blew his mind. I've been scamming your people my whole life. All my wealth is built off the backs of your Jewish people, and you look at me in front of all of these Jewish people, these people that are supposedly nice and good and moral and religious, and you say, I'm coming to your house, Zacchaeus. What? What love? I am a notorious sinner, and yet you're pursuing me, and you want to come eat with me and come to my house? This encounter with Jesus. See, this wasn't an intellectual thing. Jesus said, hey, let me tell you about the gospel of grace. So many Christians have an intellectual understanding of the gospel. And if your understanding is merely intellectual, you're never going to get to step three, which we're about to see. No, no, this wasn't intellectual. This was relational. This was experiential. Zacchaeus had Jesus come into his home. And in that day and age, that's what hospita- hospitality really means, the welcome of unwanted strangers. It's not the welcome of people that you really enjoy. It's the welcome people of, that are different from you. And this man experienced it. The good news, that's what the gospel means. The good news that Jesus could now be his new master over and above money. A master who served instead of demanded was now good and beautiful news to Zacchaeus. Now, how do we know that it was good news? Well, this is what Jesus says in Matthew 6, right? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And with a new master comes a new way. No, here it is. With a new relationship with God and a new relationship with Jesus, it changes his relationship with money. Jesus, if Jesus is our Lord, he puts money in check and he gives us the power to dethrone the rival masters in our life. See, money as master says you can spend it or you can save it, but it's all about you. Money is about you and your identity and your security and your place in the world. Jesus as master says, "Yes, yeah, spend some and of course save some, but more importantly, give a large portion away to my work in the world. And look at verse eight. First off, pause. The Sermon on the Mount is most entirely about this one scripture. They'll know you by your fruit. Everything else is kind of out of that. Here's what a Christian is going to look like. Here's what a person who believes the gospel, this is what they're going to look like. Jesus is telling this story to give us a picture of what it looks like to have your heart changed by the new master, by Jesus Christ, in relationship with money. Look what he says, verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. I love this. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. In other words, he's saying, I owe a lot to a lot of people and I'm going to repay it fourfold. Now what's going on here? Zacchaeus was a lover of money, was a truster of money. He worshiped money. As Jesus encounter with him changed his heart that changed his relationship with money he can no longer serve two masters he realizes that and he's choosing i am now going to serve the lord i'm going to serve jesus christ and in order for me to do that i have to dethrone the rival gods in my life i have to dethrone the god of money and my life, and how do you how do you dethrone money? You give it away. It's the only way. Tim Keller says this: If you live for money, you're a slave. If, however, God becomes the center of your life, that dethrones and demotes money. If your identity and security is in God, money cannot control you anymore through worry or through desire. Money just becomes money. Now here's the question for us this morning. If I can diagnose my own heart if I can ask this question of myself who is my Lord who's in control of my emotions who's in control of my desires who's in control of my wants my wishes my finances who's my master it's easy to answer honestly it's who do you love trust and obey above all others is it the bank account If you can can be honest, many of us will see that it is money. Jesus was putting his finger on our problem, the deepest wound of our soul, the deepest issue of our soul. He's putting his finger on it right now and he's exposing it. Now listen, Jesus is not doing it to be cruel to us. He's doing it like a good physician like a good surgeon who wounds in order to heal he's cutting us open because he wants to set us free he wants us to have this experience like Zacchaeus and have the joy of serving a new master who's good and kind and gracious to us see the good news for us if you look at your life and go okay let's be honest let's be real my God is money I'm a slave to my money The good news for us is that this text tells us Jesus came for us. He came to seek and save the lost. Jesus literally gave his life to set us free from the controlling power of money, to set us free from that master. And we see that Jesus pursued and came after and chose Zacchaeus before Zacchaeus had done anything to deserve it. Jesus says, I'm coming to your house today. The reality is Jesus is pursuing you right now. But but the truth of the matter is we cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is the only master who gives more than he demands. Every other master says, you must die for me. You must give it all to serve me. Total devotion. Only Jesus comes to us. Jesus says, today I'm coming to your house. Jesus is the only master who dies to set us free from all our false masters. Now, here's the question I ask. Can you feel that this morning? You will never be free until that amazing grace becomes a living, breathing, moment-by-moment reality to your soul. That Jesus... Yeah, he looks at your house, and he sees your idolatry, he sees your sin, and yet he says, hold on, I'm coming to you, and let's fix this. Let me heal you. Let me make you right. Let me set you free. Let that sink in. Now, here's the thing. I feel resistance in the room. And I feel resistance because I think we all know we can't, if once we come to Jesus, like once Jesus comes into our house and he forgives us and he frees us and he heals us and he sets us free from our rival masters, we can't just sit there. Jesus says, you cannot. Serve both God and money. And what does that mean? That means step three. And this might be the most difficult, but also the most freeing. You have to dethrone rival gods through giving. You have to open the clenched fists and let the money flow through you from God to his work in the world, and not hold on to it any longer. Now, I have people ask me all the time, okay, 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 I have to give. First off, everybody thinks they, they, they should give. Everybody, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I want to be generous, right? I want to be generous, but here's the deal. Well, how much? And it's true that nowhere in the New Testament is it commanded anywhere that you are to tithe, give 10%. Jesus does talk about it. Jesus does kind of affirm it. But the reason it's not commanded anywhere isn't because it's no longer valid. It's because it's the bare minimum. It's the bottom of the barrel. No, no, no. See, In the Old Testament, under the law, you had to tithe. But under grace, you've got a whole new master, a gracious master who, guess what? How much do we have to give? Look to our master. Jesus didn't tithe his blood. He gave it all for us. He gave his life for us. No one with a working knowledge of that could say, well, how much does he want to take from me? What? Look what he's given to you. Look what he's given for you. He could demand 99% of everything you make, and that would be gracious if heaven is real and our eternal rewards are waiting for us. See, Jesus, think about it. it our salvation cost him his blood. He gave it all for us. If you want to respond to Jesus appropriately in faith, listen, it is going to be a sacrifice for you financially. It's going to be. And that might mean different things for every single person in this room. That means you have got to give enough money away this year that it actually sacrifices your lifestyle. It makes a dent in your American lifestyle. I can't live like everybody else in my tax bracket because I'm giving that much away to the work of God. It has to do that. If it's not doing that, then you are trying to serve both God and money. If you're trying, if you can keep up with the Joneses in your tax bracket, then you have not dethroned money. You're still trying to serve God and mammon. If you don't give enough money away that it really makes a difference in how you live your life and your lifestyle, then you haven't dethroned money as your master and you're not really responding to Jesus as he's responded to you. Now, Who is this directed for? Many of this, many times this is directed for the religious among us. The ones who have been taught since little kids to tithe and give their 10% and we give it and and we've just learned to live on 90 and it's not really that big of a deal to us anymore. And so we, we just assume we don't have a problem with money. But that's not the standard. We should be constantly, every year, reevaluating every bonus, every raise. Instead of just raising our standard of living, we should ask of ourselves and our spouse, we should say, what does the Lord want me to do with this added income? Does he, is he saying, okay, fine, go spend it, that's fine. Or is he saying, Support something in Kenya. Plant a church. Support a church planter. Give to the poor. American Christian, if every dime that comes in to your hand, if you don't ask that question, that question of your own heart, then you might be trying to serve two masters simultaneously. Now, we can't do this without two eyes on the face of Jesus Christ. See, this isn't just like a deal for salvation. Okay, I give 10% and he gives me salvation. No, 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 no. This is, I look on the face of Jesus Christ who lived for me, who bled for me, who died for me, who rose for me, who sent the spirit for me, who's securing a home for me in heaven and the new heavens, the new earth, where I'll enjoy him for eternity. And if I don't stay fixated on that reality, right? I can never be free to give for my money to be money. And okay, God, whatever you want, I'll send it to. Wherever you want me to send it, I'll send it to. Soon as my eyes come off of Jesus, typically they land on me, my effort, my money, my security, my meaning, my purpose, my value. And so this morning, first off, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I ask that you just look to Jesus. Look that he's a guy that goes to notorious sinners, that he's willing to get into your mess. He's willing to come to you and give grace to you. And he came to this earth and he bled and died for us to give us salvation but also that is going to require something from us after the fact. That is going to require something from us. We cannot serve both God and money. And for the Christian who's already a believer, as you come here down to this meal this morning, you're taking the bread that represents the broken flesh of Jesus Christ. That's what he did for you. And the wine is his blood that was poured out for you. He gave it all for us this morning. And when you're coming and you're partaking, you're remembering that because to live like a Christian, we have to be constantly fighting to remember that this morning. So I want you to realize you're coming to a Savior who already came for you, who already died for you, who already bled for you this morning as you're eating the meal. Father, I thank you for the work that you're doing in here. It is not an easy work. We don't even realize how enslaved we are to money. It's just the air we breathe in this society. And so a sermon like this can be just a slap in the face, Lord. But I pray that they would see it from you. They would hear it from you. The one who's gone before them. The one who's already done what you're asking us to do. And that's to lay your life down as a sacrifice for others. I thank you for this and I pray that you would change hearts even now. And for those of us who are battling, we realize the competition and its warfare and its fight. Would we come and open our hands and receive this meal of grace, Father, and be reminded that you pursued us, that you came after us, that you laid your life down for us. And now you, as we eat, you empower us. You empower us to lay our life down for your mission in the world. Would you do this for your glory and our good in Jesus' name? Amen.